0: Welcome. You're listening to the McKinsey on Healthcare podcast. If you're looking for insights into the issues that matter most in healthcare right now, you're in the right place. Explore wide-ranging conversations with leaders, problem solvers, innovators, and professionals who are at the heart of healthcare today. I'm Dr. Pooja Kumar, a partner at McKinsey & Company. Let's get started. In today's episode of McKinsey on Healthcare, I speak with Ursel J. McElroy, Director of Ohio's Department of Aging. She and I will be looking at how we can change the narrative on aging to achieve positive healthcare outcomes and what it takes for women to thrive as leaders. We've got some new and interesting ideas lined up for you, so let's start the conversation. Welcome, Ursel. Thank you for joining us today. Well, hi, Pooja. It's a pleasure to be here. You are the leader of one of the most critical human services agencies for your state. What drew you to your work today with the Department of Aging?
1: I accepted the appointment in January 2019. It was pretty exciting and natural. Prior to my current role, I served as deputy director within the Ohio Attorney General's office for a decade with our current governor. Prior to joining the Attorney General's office, I also had an opportunity to work in direct service with many older adults and their families. And so this was a natural transition in my career. And what an exciting time to actually assume the helm of
0: the Ohio Department of Aging. Tell me about some of your experiences earlier in your career, and how did your experiences prior shape your approach to your work today?
1: I make it a point to really understand who I want to be on this earth, what I want to contribute, and how I can help others. But it is the motivation, I would say, to help people to be their best selves that fuels me and my approach. I've been afforded so many opportunities considering what many would be surprised by a pretty modest upbringing. I approach each day without taking anything for granted. Um, And since I've been a young person, I've always been in this constant pursuit of more. How can we do more? More for ourselves, more for others, more to make things better. And that is the approach I use as a leader as well with my staff, with the people I have an opportunity to work with, I don't take the opportunities that I'm given for granted. I use each and every moment to try to make the change.
0: You've talked about what you've done in terms of striving for more. You've talked about what you've done in terms of your development, but you've also made a very purposeful choice to do all of these things in the service of vulnerable populations. I'd love to just hear your reflections on what drew you to that.
1: I have, throughout my career, had the privilege to work with incredible people. My background for many years has been serving victims of crime, whether it was child abuse, sexual abuse, elder abuse, sadly, helping families who've had to deal with the loss due to a homicide. And what you learn in working with people who have experienced things that are unimaginable to most of us is that their resilience and their desire to continue and to make things better, not just for their families, but those that come behind them is incredible. And so I don't believe that I have the luxury to do anything less than to operate with intention with a sense of urgency, with constant purpose.
0: What has been your biggest professional learning in terms of health equity?
1: I think we heard a lot about health equity in particular during the pandemic. There was a lot of emphasis on many of the disparities that were highlighted throughout the pandemic. I think it's really important for people to understand that each and every one of us has our own lived experiences, and there's value in that, and there's purpose in that. They are as unique as the fingerprints each one of us has (laughs) on our hands. And so I don't make assumptions. I try to be very careful to not operate as if any one group is this monolithic, static group of individuals. But yet, Appreciate their differences, strive to try to meet people where they are, and to be certain that no matter where you started, that you have
0: a fair opportunity to be the best that you can be. And I'd love to hear about how you actually translate that to your work. In your view, how can an organization go all in on health equity? Absolutely.
1: I think first we have to be very intentional in our work in our policies, in our practices. I think we have to create lines of succession, if you will, uh, so that individuals have the opportunity to bring to the table some of those very diverse yet rich experiences that can only further our businesses, our productivity. I believe that if given the opportunity, most people Want to succeed. Most people want to do their best. Most people want to be productive. And to the extent that I can create an environment that supports that, to the extent that I can create opportunities that allow that, to the extent that I can help individuals show up each and every day and know they are appreciated and valued and are contributors, I will do that within my workplace. And I think we can do that in small ways and large ways. I think what you will see within my department is that we are very intentional about being inclusive. We are very intentional in the ways in which we provide opportunities, harness the different viewpoints, utilize the experiences of others to help us not only support our business, but to also support those individuals who rely upon our business. And so each and every day, we work really hard to be certain that we've put in place
0: those opportunities for those individuals to thrive. It's great to hear some of those tactical examples about how you apply this to your team and your agency. How do you apply this concept of health equity to your work in aging today? That's a really good question, Pooja. And I think it's
1: one that most people should be very interested in because that is one thing that we all have in common, and that is we will all age. And the reality is that the landscape of long-term care or healthy aging is ever evolving. And it has been accelerated by COVID-19. And I believe it is more important than ever to be certain that we have long-term care providers, that we have families, that we have individuals that are agile enough to adapt to the diverse needs and preferences of older Ohioans and older individuals across this world, no matter the setting. The emphasis on healthy aging must not stop at the front door of a provider of a facility. Rather, our strategies have to contemplate so many things, critical care transitions, appreciating what the desires are of individuals to live healthy, understanding that this will require us to be very intentional upfront and often. When I think about healthy aging, I think it's really important to note that almost everything is possible if you maintain health into older age. But if you don't, many of your opportunities will be limited and the potential costs for all of us will be considerably higher. Healthy aging requires us to think about how we age across the lifespan. Healthy aging requires us to think about how do we incorporate strategies and policies broadly and apply them often. Healthy aging requires us to think about those factors that impact how we age throughout the lifespan. I think that old age cannot be seen as a burden or a drain because if we view it that way, we will have a natural tendency to focus on things that are limited to cost containment, to focus on those things that do not necessarily allow us to be very bold and very innovative. But if you think of old age as an opportunity for all of us to have a dignified life as long as we live, then we are going to invest in those services for older individuals. We fully understand those things that impact how we age throughout the lifespan. And more investments earlier, more often, and in the right places and spaces will make it a reality for most of us and not this aspiration that is too difficult to attain. This is simply about changing the narrative and being willing to invest in a more long-term strategy than simply providing dollars and energy on a short-term fix that has not proven to be beneficial or successful for a healthy aging approach across this world.
0: Thanks, Ursel. I'm really struck by your comment around the fact that we know a lot of what it takes. We've known about social determinants for a long while. As you say. All of us have watched or will watch our parents and our grandparents go through the process of aging, and yet we have not made it a priority, I think, in the way that you describe. How has COVID-19 exacerbated or improved some of the challenges of healthy aging? Well, COVID-19 was sudden and unexpected.
1: The virus took aim at older people and threatened their health needed services, living arrangements, interactions with loved ones, and their lives. Across the world, there had been many accounts of illnesses, hospitalizations, and deaths impacting the older population, unlike others. And so the pandemic has laid bare so many things, and it has crystallized what many of us knew, but had not faced head-on. And without question, this has been traumatic, for all of us. We are left to wrestle with how did we get here? But we have an opportunity, I believe, to also make some considerable changes. We know those things that impact healthy aging. We know those things that we can now go back and correct. I think that the irony of COVID-19 is that while there were many losses and many deaths, I believe that it will actually be the catalyst that helps us save so many older lives in the future. It will require us to look at how we view older lives. It will require us to take an inventory of the services, the investments, the opportunities perhaps that we left on the table to provide a stronger system of long-term care for older
0: individuals. It's something that touches on so many points, right? How how we prioritize and make investments in the space around aging, what are the ways in which we care for folks that are in long-term care facilities, but also How do we actually think about the concept of aging, not just being when we're sick and at the end of of our lives? If there were three things you could do across the country tomorrow to improve the experience of aging, what would they be? Wow, that's a big question. (laughs) Well, first,
1: I would want everyone to value what it means to age. You have to first value a thing before you will invest in a thing. And I think for far too long, we have accepted a view of aging as one of decline, one of loss, one of decreased value. And that is simply not true. As you age, you have opportunities to continue to contribute. You have opportunities to live longer, thrive longer, to be a valued part Of our society. I think I would also want to have many of our older individuals to be present in the decisions that are made on their behalf. I think often I am a part of policy making, policy setting decisions that do not include the very people that will be most impacted. And I think it is going to be really important for us to Tune in to what their needs are, to understand what their experiences are, and to appreciate how we can close the gap between what they desire and what we've been able to provide so far. Finally, I I would like to see true investments in aging. Investments that begin sooner in life. An appreciation for the upstream impact and how you can make a difference if you just begin a little sooner. If you just hit that pivotal time just a bit earlier, helping people to eat healthier, helping people to appreciate what it means to live in a safe and secure environment, helping people to understand what it means, when we say health literacy, what it means to prepare yourself as you continue to age throughout the lifespan. Interestingly, many individuals do not begin to think about, contemplate, put in place steps for themselves, or really understand the value until they have reached a later age. But I would suggest and I would recommend that we make it a part of our lifespan. We make it a part of everyday living, that we understand the things that we can do. That we empower each and every one of us so that we have the chance to live well as we age. You know, it's not just about increasing the amount of time that you're on this earth, it is absolutely about the quality of time you have while you're on this earth. And there are many things that we can do throughout the lifespan
0: to be sure that we have that quality life that we all so much desire. Thank you. Looking forward to. Having those become priorities for all of us in the next few years, I, I could not agree more. What role can the private sector play in partnership with states to provide needed services for the elderly?
1: I believe it's really important to have those public-private partnerships. This is not an issue that can be addressed by government alone, nor is it an issue that can be addressed by the private sector alone. When I think of examples of what it means to age in a healthy way, many of the things that we look forward to will require those really strong relationships, such as building structures, right? Making sure that we have neighborhoods that are conducive to healthy aging. That will require public private partnerships. When we begin to look at healthcare, when we look at education, when we look at financing long-term care, uh, there are so many opportunities for public-private partnerships to strengthen the infrastructure that we have created for aging in a healthy way. And I would like to see an expansion of those partnerships. I would like to see more bold thinking, more broad thinking, and more uniformity in how it is applied across the world for older individuals.
0: We're having this conversation just as International Women's Day approaches. When you look more broadly at your role as a woman and a leader in healthcare, what are some of the greatest biases and challenges that you've encountered? Well, I will say that when you are a visionary, sometimes
1: your ideas can seem too big for the other people in the room. It can make you question your own intentions and dangerously require you or compel you to curb your enthusiasm, to shrink into a smaller space that is comfortable for the others in the room. I think one of the challenges that I have overcome is being comfortable sometimes making other leaders uncomfortable. When I ask you, why are we moving too slow? If I respectfully challenge a decision that could adversely impact millions of individuals, I am now comfortable with your discomfort. I have learned to reframe the issue where needed, but stay the course. You know, if I were offering something to many of the women People ask me, what are the things that you would want younger women starting their careers to do? What sort of advice would you have to them? I think there are three things that I would offer to any young woman, any woman for that matter, is it's first and foremost is to bring your whole self. Many of us lead high pressure lives. We have to juggle many things as women, particularly when it comes to managing your families, and your career. And as a consequence, often our mental and physical health has to take a back seat. In fact, major barriers for women not maintaining a healthy lifestyle are often the lack of time and the deprioritization of their own well being. And I would say you have to bring your whole self each and every day, and that requires you to take care of yourself. The second thing I would say is to give yourself grace. And this was a really hard one for me, but give yourself kindness that you often deserve. The permission to forgive your own mistakes. There will be times where you will have lapses in judgment, but no one is perfect. Try not to ruminate too long. It simply depletes your energy and it compromises your ability to get off the ropes, reorient yourself, and stand tall the next day. So give yourself grace. The other thing, I would strongly recommend that you get in the room. You must get in the room. And what do I mean by that? Being aware, being heard, being included, being informed, being present. All of these things are critical to advancement and success you must be in the room. You must have a seat at the table. Those meetings in the boardroom or those after-hour network gatherings, in both instances, these are places where key relationships are forged and grown. My advice to any woman is to take up the challenge to be certain that you are invited in that room. And when you get in that room and you have a seat at that table, I want you to speak up and to be genuine so that
0: you will be heard. I I I just love that answer. What does International Women's Day mean to you both personally and in the context of the work that you do?
1: Well, first, International Women's Day is both empowering and sobering. It symbolizes the progress, resilience, solidarity, the strength and all of the struggles and successes of women across the world from all different walks of life. And so for me, it is really powerful to be connected to so many women. It's refreshing to know that I am not alone, yet it is also sobering when you realize the amount of ground we still have to cover. So I intend to commemorate This important day, this important time, to not only create awareness, but to use it as a platform for action that will yield needed change.
0: Ursel, when you look at the place of women in leadership, say twenty years from now, what do you see in your mind? It's exciting. I think there will be many residual benefits from the
1: pandemic. The pandemic has. Accelerated the need for many successful organizations to appreciate the value of women, their contributions, and our need to be much more flexible, to be much more innovative, to be much more thoughtful and purposeful about how we harness, how we retain, how we utilize the talents of all of our employees, but this is particularly beneficial, I believe, for many women. I am keeping my eye on what many are concerned about the potential for a mass exodus of women during this time, but I am also keeping my eye on the opportunities that companies have now to make workforce environments more conducive for the growth of women. And it will be those companies that I believe will thrive and that will succeed. And many of the younger women or many of the women coming behind me, I believe in 15 years, 20 years will reap the benefits of that. I would like to believe that the changes that we are forced to make at this time, the changes that we are in the midst of making at this time, creates opportunities for us to be very intentional and thoughtful about how these changes allow us to create those
0: spaces for many women leaders. Arcel, thank you again for this inspirational, aspirational, and sobering conversation all at the same time. We really appreciate you taking the time with us today. Thank you, Pooja. It was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for joining us for today's McKinsey on Healthcare podcast with Ursel J. McElroy, Director of the Ohio Department of Aging. Director McElroy has given us some timely insights into the need to reframe aging as an opportunity to live well, rather than an inevitable decline. Personally, I loved her advice to all women about taking a seat at the table and using your voices. I'm Pooja Kumar, and this has been a McKinsey on Healthcare podcast. Thank you for listening.